It's Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. It's episode seven. It's the middle of the summer. It is July. But this is the best podcast about the Green Bay Packers. I am Mike Fleischman right here in the beautiful downtown Loop studios of Radio DePaul Sports. Thank you so much for joining me today. Regularly, I'd be introducing Matt Mellemstetter, but Matt Mellemstetter still in Hollywood, still wearing sunglasses, still directing movies. So with me today in my in my rotating chair of guest hosts, I've got Allie Pruitt. Hi, Allie. Hello. How are you doing, Mike? Oh, so good. I'm almost <laughs> awake. It's eleven in the morning. I have absolutely no excuse to be to be as groggy as I am and to be as as late arriving to consciousness as I am right at this point. But uh, Allie Pruitt, give us give us the rundown of uh, of who the heck are you? Well, well, I got you here. Yeah, so I'm a recent DePaul grad. I was a part of Radio DePaul Sports while I was here, the host of Who Runs the World with Megan Waldron. Um, I am currently at NBC Sports Chicago working over there, um, and I will be going to John Marshall Law School in about a month. And, you know, I'm a huge Packer fan, so it's awesome to be on this show with you today, um, and I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I appreciate having you. We uh we are looking for some some off season talk while we've got off season time. This this episode, of course, not much happening right now in the in this in the NFL world specifically. Everyone's still uh, still kind of working out and um, you know making Twitter posts about grinding and hustle and such. Yeah. So while while uh, while doing that, uh, we're just kind of taking a, a bigger picture look at some of the things going on. Of course, want to let you all know: stick with Cheeseheads in Chicagoland because. Weekly updates, game day recaps, all sorts of fun stuff going to be happening once we hit the regular season. But for right now, I've got uh, got some NFL discipline to talk about, some flag football that happened last weekend. I thought we'd take a look at the uh, Chicago Bears a little bit because we are in Bears territory. And also some, some Packers stuff. Tony Romo predicted the Packers are going to the Super Bowl this year playing a team that you might not expect <laughs> unless, unless you expect the unexpected from Tony Romo. But up top, want to get to want to get to NFL discipline. This is something that we've hit on just a little bit in this show, and we've there's a broader world around it. But last week saw the announcement of of several suspensions, notably for this show, the Packers Aaron Jones two game suspension for uh, for a substance abuse policy violation, and we are getting to the point. As a society, and this Jones's suspension stems from a marijuana arrest last year. We're getting to a point as a society where marijuana is acceptable, but we are seeing, we are starting to notice the double standard of it as well. And I think in a, in a league that is is as dominated by people of color as the NFL and whose management and disciplinary sectors are as dominated by white men as we see we are starting to notice a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a dichotomy there as well I definitely agree with you there. And I think, you know, with this whole idea of marijuana charges that we're seeing, you know, in the NFL and, and just across professional sports in general, um, you know, you kind of have this weird relationship between the suspensions they're getting for it and the punishment they're getting for it compared to what would happen in the real world, right? What if it was you or I who got caught with that marijuana? And I think a lot of it has to do with not only how much they're being caught with, but also in the case of Aaron Jones, you know, he was pulled over in a traffic stop and that's when that happened. So I think there's just some interesting uh, conversation to be had about this marijuana issue and and how it's being punished in the NFL and how it's being punished in society and um, you know where that crossover is if any which you know as you just mentioned there maybe is it lining up how uh, how we would assume it to be yeah I, I, and I I have firsthand experience with being like just a white guy who gets away with stuff yeah They're like my dirtbag <laughs> past can bear this out we don't need to air like my laundry on this <laughs> podcast but uh, yeah, suffice it to say like there is I know the world in which you get, get excused for doing things. I don't know that other world where you don't. And you've watched like a social change in America go from um, 
go from marijuana as sort of like a, a thing that you could sort of laugh at and be like, ha ha, it's illicit and all of my heroes do it yeah. to like the point where it is now where like, you know, you say you might be at like a dignified grown up party being thrown by like a HR manager and yeah. an accountant and they're like, would you like some of these gummies we brought back <laughs> from Colorado? I'm like, no, actually, but this is weird. And and to see it, to see it be something where like, like misdemeanor marijuana arrest, like even if I had like a normal white collar job, like this would not, no one would bat an eye at this. Like my employer would never find out. They certainly wouldn't make a press release about it. Right. And to see that being done in the NFL, like there is a bit of a grandstanding happening on discipline at the moment. I definitely agree with you there. And I think, you know, when you look at African-American men who are predominantly the stars in the NFL, you know, they're also the ones making millions of dollars. So think about it. You know, you're an African-American male. You have a nice car. You have a nice house. You're automatically drawing attention to yourself, you know, whether you like it or not. You know, and that's kind of not necessarily fair because if it was me driving in a nice car or me, you know, coming out of a nice house, would you automatically assume that I am, you know, doing drugs or I stole this car or I broke into this house? Absolutely not. And so I think this is just like another point made that racism is still alive and well and you're seeing it really take a toll on these NFL players and you know they're being like you said not only punished but it's being you know broadcasted to the world of what they did and where they did it and you know who who arrested them for it and I mean oftentimes some of these guys are even being booked into jails and you know having their mug shots taken and then those going all over ESPN the next day so it's just interesting, you know, way in which some of these drug charges are just being blown up to insanity, really. This is this uh, this might make me sound, I don't know, not paranoid, but it might make me sound a little bit sensitive. But one of the things that news reports and one of the things that people like to do when these NFL players or when when famous people of color are arrested on minor drug charges they like to include specific details of the car they were driving. Yeah. Because frequently it's from traffic stops and frequently it's like, and the suspect was driving a 2012 Mercedes. Uh, what's a good Mercedes? The S-Class? You know, it's valued at about $126,000. <laughs> they want to tell me how much like the dude spent on the car right. they were driving. Like they want to kind of drive home this point that like, that, that something here is illegitimate or something here mm-hmm. is not properly earned. Yeah. And, what really what really gets gets dirty and when you start to get into the 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 hypocrisy of the NFL and not just not just the hypocrisy of the greater justice system as this is not a justice system podcast i don't think <laughs> or it's not yet um, is that is that the NFL can't find its butt when it comes to actually dealing with people in its ranks who do legitimately bad things right but they sure can suspend you a couple of games for, for you know, I mean, and with some of these guys like, you know, Aaron, Aaron Jones might have had a blunt, right. and they, you know, they don't know what to do with a guy who's been arraigned on on multiple felony domestic violence charges, but they sure know what to do with with Aaron Jones. I mean, it really just grinds my gears because you're seeing guys who are getting. The same suspension, if not more, sometimes for these drug charges, marijuana charges. And then you hear about some horrific domestic violence crime, right? Like, I mean, you got guys beating the crap out of women. You have guys dragging them, throwing, I mean, on camera, for Christ's sakes. I mean, there's all these issues when it comes to domestic violence. And I know there's other issues, you know, other felony issues we've seen in the NFL, but you know, as seeing all this domestic violence stuff happen, and then they'll get off for, like, maybe a game or two, and you're like, wait a minute, that's the same punishment that, like, you know, Jones got for a blunt, right? How is that equivalent? And I think it's just, like, in that case, what really irritates me about how the NFL deals with these punishments is because the punishment is predominantly made by the NFL, not by the criminal justice system. So it's kind of just like passed on. You know, you rarely, unless it's, you know, I hate to say this, but like an Aaron Hernandez thing where it's like a murder charge. You know what I mean? Rarely is it 
a court dealing with this. It's the NFL who's coming down with the harshest punishments, whether that's fines or, you know, suspensions. And so then you're seeing it be the same. And and it kind of comes down to two as well as like, how much money is this player bringing to the NFL, right? So if it's a star player and you suspend him for half the season, is the NFL going to make as much money on jersey sales or whatever? No. And I think that's partially why they do that. And Oh, really, really good. And there's, me. yeah, there's, you mentioned before we started recording, there's sort of, there's a negotiated aspect of this as yes. well, in that the NFL sort of has this, this agreement, whether it's on paper or not, that if you plead guilty, if you contest these charges, then you are not going to get the same deal from the NFL discipline committee as if you enter a guilty plea or let, let the courts go f- go through their thing which is which is another way of the NFL protecting their investment and also like that it doesn't seem ethical on its face but there is there's absolutely a co- a colluding aspect between how the players enter the justice system and how the NFL deals with you yeah and i mean it's just the NFL is such this overarching power right there's so much money in it and and they're making so much money off the players the players are making money off the league and you know when things like disciplinary action need to happen like you said you know there's this negotiation aspect because what is best for both of you right that's kind of what it comes down to is like how can we punish you so we make it look like you know we're really cracking down the whip here you know don't do this or don't do that but we don't want it to affect, you know, the the power that the NFL has and, and the money, the revenue that it's bringing in. And so you just see this, you know, like you said, this negotiation, this these side deals happening before the punishment is, is released. And I think that's not how it works in the real world. And, you know, it just it's money really is what's driving all of this. Yeah. And there's there's always. There is an echelon of folks who are who are talented who will be recruited because you know if, I, if I'm a random say I'm a random accountant which would be like a major step up in employment <laughs> for me but say I'm just a random accountant and I'm like arraigned on felony domestic violence charges I'm most likely losing my job immediately okay. and but if I'm in higher demand there starts to be like a there starts to be a series of people who start to make excuses for right. you and. Th- to me, that is that's gross and and that's awful. It's but we've started to see it at the highest level of when you start to get to the folks where if you look at you know, Ray Rice for a for a, a situation, there are about there are about maybe a hundred and fifty people on the planet who are capable of like doing Ray Rice's specific job, right? And like that. That job makes the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL a lot of money, and so the amount of people who came out to make excuses for him was was completely overwhelming. And even like you know, that that same engine that like drives people to let Aaron you know to let Aaron Jones know like work with the courts and you know we yeah. only get two games and everything's understood right at that point. That same system like. It seems innocuous when it's Aaron Jones, but it's nefarious. It becomes more nefarious because you see it applied to to truly egregious egregious actions like like Rice's. Right, and I mean when you have to look at it this way from this perspective as well, because when you have something like a Ray Rice situation happen, and then you have <laughs> this astonishing low punishment for what he did. And then you you have people, like you said, who are vouching for him and making these excuses. Oh, it really wasn't that bad. Oh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Or, well, she did this. You know, whatever the case may be, you also, in a sense, normalize that, right? And that is not normal. And that is not okay. And so you have to... I get what the NFL is doing, and I don't agree with it, right? They're covering their own butts in the sense that there's only, like you said, 150 people in the whole world who could do what Ray Rice did on the field. But look at all the people who watch Ray Rice every Sunday or every Thursday night, right? And so the actions to which, you know, they are doing and and the punishments they are being upheld with is something that kind of trickles down through society. And, 
you know, you never know who's watching that, who's going to think that's okay, and you're sending out a poor message. And then that's where I don't see the correlation because then you have someone getting busted with a blunt or, you know, however much marijuana, and they're being punished and all these things. But in regular society, that's not happening. You know, a lot of these guys are walking away or girls or whoever's being punished for getting caught with marijuana, if you were even caught with it, because half the time they let you walk with nothing. You, I mean, you you come down here in the loop. You're you're in public in Chicago. How many people do you see openly smoking <laughs> marijuana in public Like outside Paul's campus, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like not a care in the world. Cops walk by, public safety, doesn't matter. Like it's not, it's not really a thing. You know, and and I'll be the first to admit that I am a white female, so I am not, I guess, as, you know, targeted per se. And I've never felt the same fear that I know some people do face. Um, But you also... It doesn't matter where you are in this city. It's it's not a, a thing that's feared, right? Mm-hmm. And so then you have these things happening where the NFL is sending this message like, God forbid you have a blunt in your car, you know, or God forbid you, whatever, we're going to punish you for it. And then you do something like the most absurd domestic violence, domestic abuse. Ray Rice is just, like you said, almost what comes to mind immediately on camera, everything. And it's like, what would they give him? Four games, I think? Suspension? Yeah. The hypocrisy of the small things makes them lose the legit- legitimacy on the big things. Exactly. And, and and also their complete lack of ability to deal with the big things. Right. And the, uh, the <laughs> utter institutional incompetence of, of the NFL as a system. And I... Th- this to me is is of course like a management problem for the NFL but it's it's also this is what happens when you do not have strong players unions and players groups and this is what happens when you don't have the right amount of bargaining power with the owners because I truly believe that league discipline should be should be something that that almost most of the power of it should belong to to a players union and there should be some sort of split there like they should be deeply involved in that like the players the players and their representatives should be much more involved than they are in this because right now they just have a situation where they've they've kind of given those rights away to right. the league and getting it back is going to be so tough for the players yeah but they need to be involved in it like like this th- this needs to be this needs to be a situation where, like, they can help them. And and from drugs on, like, Melum Setter and I have talked about drugs on this podcast as well. And that, like, I'm a big believer in second chances. And yeah. I'm also a big believer in the idea of, of like, addiction as a disease and a health issue yeah. and not a, a punitive issue. Like, this is, this is super, super clear. And, like, you know, for... You know, I really, truly believe that, like, if if you are in a league that says, like, we're going to drug test you and if you test positive for weed, we're going to suspend you. Like, I really believe that, like, yeah, if you can't if you can't quit even just to, like, hit the drug tests in those situations that, like, like there is something that should be looked at, like, from a from like a health perspective there. Yeah. Like and there is something there whether or not the league whether or not any sports league should ever test you for pot is another issue entirely (laughs) but just that idea of like like if you can't if you can't take a break for a month right to uh you know to get uh to get the test right because a lot of you know, a lot of leagues it's kind of widely understood that like there's a test coming down right and, and, and you, and you know, know it's coming yep. you know you gotta kind of wait these couple of weeks hold off on it and then the day after uh-huh free for all right because you know it's not gonna happen again for whatever yeah 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 athletes in in a lot of leagues will tell you tell you about their experiences yeah. with that yeah openly after they stop playing but yeah, there, there, there is a health issue to be looked at, and you know, there, there are serious things that, you know, that not, you know, not just athletes, but plague everyone's lives. That like, if you want to, if you want the disciplinary arm of something to be involved with that, you have to be more focused on, on the players as people and have an overall yeah. health perspective. And if you don't, yeah, you just, you delegitimize something that barely has any legitimacy right. in the first place. That 
is is NFL discipline that we we brought Aaron Jones into it to uh, to get there. But um, I want to get maybe slightly more cheerful. Yes. <laughs> as we go along, um, running theme of Cheeseheads in Chicago land is that <laughs> is that uh, NFL discipline and management does some inexplicable things. Uh, something else we saw happen last week was the the flag football tournament. We saw we saw a lot of guys get involved with this. I know Seneca Wallace did uh, mm-hmm. showed off a lot of stuff. And one of the takes that I heard from it was that that sort of uh, that question take, like, eh, I'm going to ask an open question. Um, with the flag football, are we seeing the future of the game? And I saw a little bit of this, and it was interesting enough. Uh, do you think we're really headed to a, like a non-contact thing? Is flag football the future of, of this sport? So I'm going to disagree on the fact that flag football is not the future of football because, you know, I've, you know, the whole idea of CTE and the head injuries is very serious um, and I think it needs to be addressed. Now, my thing is, is that there will always be people who are willing to take that risk. I don't think that there will be enough fear that it will just stop as a whole. What I do think is that we will see less tackle football, less, you know, contact football at the younger levels. I think that that should phase out because, you know, studies have shown that when you're eight years old and you're getting smacked in the head and, you know, head head to head contact and things that it really is affecting. And I think, you know, when you when you're eight years old, you're really not making your own decisions. You know, it's your parents and Mm -hmm. obviously your parents are going to have your best interest in mind and and you might not put their kid in contact football. You know, no matter if their father was, you know, star superstar himself, you know, I just think that that's this fear that, you know, you always want the best for your child. So I do see that, you know, younger probably up even, I would say, until high school level, being this non-contact flag football. Um, and then, you know, as you get older and are able to make your own decisions, I don't think that contact football will ever go away because I always think that there will be people who love it enough and who are not afraid and, and are just going to take the risk and it doesn't matter if 50 years after that, they don't remember. I really like that because it's it's something that I've heard talked about of like what we do at the youth football level is 20 years down the road going to affect the the NFL and, and a lot of people, you know, you heard that initial pushback. I heard it, I started hearing it probably about 10, 12 years ago for the first time, that pushback of we can't change how we tackle. This is how we were taught, yeah. you know, coming from some of the guys who are really really notorious in the league as as spears. I think uh, I don't want to put that quote directly to John Lynch, but you know, yeah. you think of like guys in the secondary like Lynch and like the you know the late nineties. I don't know if you ever saw these. They're on YouTube like the bone crunching yeah. hits. <laughs> uh, videos that Sports Illustrated would send you if you if yeah. if you subscribed. Um, and you heard that pushback of like we are taught to do this and I do I I like anything that that starts to encourage a different kind of uh, a different kind of tackling and a different a different kind of thought about like yeah. what to me it's to me it's like it's a basic rules question right now of like when is when is a play live when is it dead yeah. what ends a play cuz the tackle ends the play and and also and then you know, issues of offensive line are a little more complicated. And you yeah. saw you know, flag flag football. That to me was that's kind of where it fell a little bit flat yeah. to me. Is yeah. that is that yeah you know, the I like offensive line play. That's where they put me when I played football. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no surprise. But that that question of like what are these kids going to learn, and and having a good effective plan for that. And showing them flag football, and and showing them showing them the fact that adults want to do that as well yeah. is important because it it takes away that idea of like, well, someday we're going to graduate to real football, which is pain and injury, right? And instead, like, show them like now, like, like old folks can do it as well. I had another bullet point in that you've heard two different alternative football leagues yeah. kind of form themselves up. Uh, Vince McMahon is going to do his his stupid football league <laughs> again. Um, and there's another one as well that I don't recall the name of right now. But um, I was wondering, flag football, is it is it a hedge to try to to try and keep 
keep maybe marginal talent away from these other leagues? Is is it time? Is its timing specific to kind of letting the XFL and letting Vince McMahon know that like we've also got a way to like pay marginal players or veterans instead of going to your dumb professional wrestling league? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that it's that it's something. And if you look at how flag football is played, right, as, as you just said, there's not as much contact when you look at kind of the offensive line. There's really not a, you know, a lot happening there. And so I think if you're looking at it in the perspective of like for, you know, veterans or people kind of, you know, phasing out of their prime, I guess, so to speak, um, I think it's definitely an alternative. It's definitely a way for people to keep playing and to – be safe while they're doing so you know what I mean it's not as physical of a game and you know if if you're still playing at a physical level and you know what I mean like what the heck just you know what I mean like why would you go over to another league if you technically could you know what I mean doesn't just make a whole lot of sense if you're in the league you're in the league if you're not what are you really doing? I think flag football is kind of this way to keep playing, to stay active, to be in a league where, you know, you can make some money off of it and um, to really have fun. And, you know, if you see more and more guys doing it, you know, as they kind of phase out of their, their prime career in the league, I think it's definitely an alternative route. One of the things that I thought when I saw it was, oh, someone's been watching the big three basketball. Because <laughs> the, the uh, flag football accomplishes kind of the same things in a couple of different ways. And one of the ways is that uh, flag football takes the depersonalizing apparel off of football players. I, I keep coming back to Seneca Wallace and like the idea of like, this guy is a career backup. I don't know how many games he started. I don't know if he was ever like a a viable starter in the league, but sort of a career backup and a guy who you hear about every once in a while. But, like, we don't really have an idea of, like, what he's like. And then you, like, just kind of throw him in, like, a tank top on the field and you watch him work and you're like, oh, he's a wizard. Right. I get it. (laughs) I see now. And and you get to learn a little bit more about personality. And it's why, you know, it's one of the key differences between, like, basketball and football isn't that basketball basically like there's some dudes in shorts and shirts and you can see their faces and you can see how they react and you can hear them talk yeah and and football it's 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 the gladiator warriors wearing their wearing their gladiator <laughs> warrior things and you know for a while half these guys had visors to where you couldn't see their eyes, eyes right even. you didn't even know yeah. who it was right yeah and and you didn't really have a sense that they were that they were not so much a sense that they were people, but a sense that they were they were personalities, and you know that was like a whole that there was a whole human being on the field, and not just like you know, a gladiator who's been suited up for battle. You know, it, there's a depersonalizing aspect to it that. I mean, the big three takes two players out of the mix, and it's (laughs) three-on-three basketball on the full-size court, so you have even more space for the person. Right. And, you know, I I like watching Catino Mobley's old man gamma. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's there's that aspect of it. Well, that's that's important for football. Yeah, I mean, I think it really does show, you know, I think the the thing about flag football— and what it can show is that you kind of see like really down to the fundamentals of the game, right? So it's not just about how big you are and, you know, all those kind of things, but you're really able to see the fundamentals, right? Like you're able to see the passes, you're able to see the runs and it really just opens the game up a lot more. Like you said, you know, in comparison to the big three that you kind of open that court up and you really see more of what's happening. I think in flag football, you're able to see that more as well. And like you said, you know, maybe get some of those personalities out. And, you know, I think we do see that more in the NFL now today than we did before where you have guys, you know, with touchdown dances and all kinds of things where you are seeing some personality there. But I do think that it it is a way to – definitely kind of build upon the NFL and I think eventually it could be something that maybe goes hand in hand. Yeah, it's 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 a lot of fun. The big 3, I, I get stuck on them. I did I did a a what was supposed to be an hour long 
sports talk show with Aziz Alothman, who is uh, graduated and and back in Bahrain now. But we uh, we ended up kind of getting stuck on the big three, and I was it was just the two of us sitting in a live studio going through the big three rosters and just basically playing the game of let's remember some guys, <laughs> <laughs> just going like. Oh, Glenn Robinson? Oh, dude. <laughs> like just just down the line of like, oh, cool. Yeah, <laughs> like, look who's still playing. Right, yeah. And I think it's it's almost like a sophisticated, like, Y League. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, the average Joe is like, oh, yeah, I played high school basketball. So here I'm at the YMCA men's league, you know, 6 a.m. or whatever. And then you have, like, the big three or, you know, as we could see, maybe flag football where these guys are kind of showing their stuff and their toughness, but just at a later level in life. And, I mean, similar to that, how cool would it be to look back and be like, oh, you know, for instance, we still got Aaron Rodgers throwing the football, you know, he's – 45, 50 years old at this point. It, w- it would be kind of cool. 65-year-old Jamal Crawford puts up, <laughs> puts up 40, 10, and 8 in a big three game <laughs> down, down the road. He could do that in an NBA game <laughs> right. for the next five years still. Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. we got to take a quick break. A little bit of more specific Packers, Bears, NFC North talk when we come back. I'm Mike Fleischman. That's Allie Pruitt. Back in a moment. <laughs> Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Mike Fleischman here. Allie Pruitt's right here. I want to let you know we have social media, uh, for better or for worse. We are on Twitter <laughs> at Cheesecagoland, C-H-E-E-S-E-C-A-G-O-L-A-N-D. It's a, it's a pun or a, it's a portmanteau based on a pun, which is appropriate. I'm on Twitter at M-P Fleischman, M-P-F-L-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N. Allie Pruitt, where, where are people going to find you at? You can find me on Twitter at Allie Pruitt 1, A-L-L-Y-P-R-U-I-T-T-1. But all my, my good stuff comes from my Instagram, which is just Allie Pruitt. Do a lot of live polls and things like that to get your to get your sports take. So be sure to tune in. Uh, Cheeseheads in Chicagoland also has a Facebook group. It's called Cheeseheads in Chicagoland, oddly enough. And uh, <laughs> basically, like, yeah, Twitter and Facebook for, for that is basically to let you know whenever I get around to putting up episodes. Um, just while well, I've got a, got a bit of a moment here before we roll back into the show and talk about the Packers, I want to shout out Anchor.fm um, for no reason. They're not paying me. We don't have any sponsors. Nobody pays me to do anything. But uh, they have been so good in in getting the podcast out to where it needs to be. If you are folks who are listening to this right now being like, you know, I could do a better podcast than that about the Green Bay Packers. One, you're probably wrong. And uh, <laughs> two, I welcome you to try. And if you do, Anchor, Anchor.fm is just the easiest darn thing because I am not particularly computer good. And this podcast is on everything. It's on iTunes. It's on Google Play. It's on all the other Android pod, podcast apps. I use I use one called uh, Castbox, which is just the most like bargain basement um, podcast RSS feed. I have no idea why I use it, but you can get podcast on that. You can find it anywhere. So Anchor.fm has been really cool for me, and I just wanted to endorse it completely, completely free of charge and without without anything, just because of how easy it's been to use. Um, that's that's my spiel right now. We got we got Packers stuff coming up. I wanted to, to roll into it. Nothing's happening right now. There was a supplemental draft. The Packers drafted nobody, so we welcome <laughs> nobody to the roster from that. Uh, Tony Romo, however, asked for his Super Bowl prediction in the middle of July. I'm assuming they found him on a golf course somewhere or uh, tracked him down in the buffet line and asked him for the Super Bowl prediction. He went with Packers-Jaguars, which... I can understand the Packers. He's a uh, he is a Wisconsin guy, so I can un- understand that. But Packers Jaguars is a bold pick, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts on on 
either that or just general Super Bowl predictions coming into the coming into the the middle of July where nothing matters. Nothing matters here, right? And 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 it's like Romo said, you know. It, this is a, a, an early prediction, a bold prediction, because you have no idea what's going to happen week one, week two. I mean, we saw that last year with the Packers where looks like they were going to have a great season and then down goes Aaron Rodgers. And when Aaron Rodgers goes down, down goes the Packers, you know. So there's really anything that could happen. And I, I'm not saying this because I'm a Packer fan. I'm saying it because with Aaron Rodgers back, with improvements, you know, in tight end with in coaching and cornerbacks the things I think the Packers have you know kind of filled that gap I think Aaron Rodgers is going to come in with a chip on his shoulder they should make it to the Super Bowl um bold prediction here uh McCarthy will be out I think if they do not make it this year I think he's you know on his he's got to make something happen um as far as the Jaguars prediction not sure I necessarily uh see that but but who knows I think the Patriots coming back again, they're, they're favorites again. I think, you know, just having that same momentum. I know they had a couple changes in their roster as well as in the coaching staff, but they're a phenomenal franchise, and I think they're, they're going to make another run for the money. I, I, I hesitate to see anyone in the AFC who really can bother the Patriots right, right. now. The NFC, meanwhile, and I've been saying this on this show, it's not that I, I say this with any sort of – Glee, but I think the Vikings match the Packers move for move this offseason and in some cases made smarter moves and we're in the position to make smarter moves in that they re-signed their secondary and linebacker core, which the Packers didn't really have a secondary or linebacker core in need of re-signing right. at this point. <laughs> um, and, and also picked up Kirk Cousins, who's pretty darn good. They have uh, Dalvin Cook coming back from from surgery. I my current offseason prediction is that the Minnesota Vikings win the NFC North, and I appreciate the optimism that yeah. the Packers have the uh, have the moves to get it. But I want to I want to circle back. Do you? Uh, is this? I I'm a pretty big believer in that. Mike McCarthy is the second best head coach in the NFL behind. Uh, behind, um, oh my God! Behind Bill Belichick, okay. who's who, a man who has a name <laughs> that I remember. Okay, I get to go in and edit a waveform, so it seems like I thought of that quicker. Um, second best coach in the NFL behind Belichick, and I know I know a lot of like Packers fans, and I'm not directly calling out my relatives here, but uh, <laughs> who are like, oh, I got to fire Mike McCarthy. That'll help. Um, will it? Like, is, I mean, more of the question to you would be, is it that you think that the firing will happen or you would be in favor of it if the Packers didn't make the Super Bowl this year? I think it will happen. I'm not necessarily saying I'm in favor of it. I'm saying that this year's team should be contenders, right? And I know this you could literally ask anybody. It does revolve around Aaron Rodgers. You know, mm. you it doesn't matter who you ask, Packer fan, not Packer fan, any analyst in the game, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. As long as he is healthy, as long as he is playing to his potential, they should compete. Now with what they have with Randall Cobb, with, you know, Jimmy Graham, with the people that they kinda are building now. I agree with you. We didn't make all the smartest moves in the off season, but we made enough moves, and I feel like we filled enough gaps that this team should be contenders, right? They should. They do have one of the toughest schedules, I think, this season as well. But they should be up there now. If they're not, and you know, we just made some defensive coaching change and things like that. If they're not, I can see where this this would be, you know, one of his last draws. He's going on his 13th season, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so has he done great things? Yes, but there has been a few seasons now where it's not uh, up to standards, and I think that – I really do think that if, if nothing happens this year, it's it, it'll probably happen in the my, next couple of seasons. My read is that with a brand-new general manager who was brought in from the inside, so not a house-cleaning guy and Brian Gutkunst, that if – I could see like three years down the road if this team, if this current core like underperforms 
in Aaron Rodgers' like 33 through 37-year-old stretch of his career yeah. in which it certainly looks like he's still going to be viable and a top two guy in the NFL through those years. If you underperform when the guys right now who are question marks, the second-year guys mm-hmm. in uh, in in Jones and King and the uh, the first year guys in in Jackson and in uh, Oren Burks and, and in some of these offensive linemen that have not had the chance to play full seasons but or have just played one or two full seasons or haven't been able to get off the ground for injuries and this this current running back core who you know looks like they're going to be a platoon like if if you don't give those question marks cuz those are those are big draft picks. Those yeah. are guys who who you have to be heavily invested in. If you don't give them two years, then you're not quite giving them enough. Like the the window is small, but to me, it has to be bigger than a year. I'm just I'm such a believer in McCarthy because because his players play for him. Like there's been yeah. there's been like people who have washed out of Green Bay's system for personality reasons. But there haven't been many of them. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there seems to be a, there seems to be a fight to this team in that like, like Brett Hundley didn't lead a good offense and they didn't run a good scheme. But like that team was willing to, that team was willing to play every game last year. There was very few situations where they. There's a couple of games where they they lost it a bit, but there was always a response, and particularly on the road, I. I don't I don't see what you would want to get, I don't see what you'd want to get rid of him for and I certainly don't see who you would want to get rid of him for unless maybe the argument is that you know there's someone on the inside as well. Yeah. That that can come into that position, but I mean here you're not going to find like Tom Landry isn't going to isn't going <laughs> to show up on your doorstep with a resume in hand. Like I don't think Bruce Arians is going to unretire. Yeah. Like there are, there are very few, there are very few guys that I'd like to see over McCarthy in that in that position. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see where that's you know an opinion and and a valid one at that. But you know, like you said, I, I mean, I personally would give it this season and the and the following um, for the Packers to to make it back to the Super Bowl and after that. Um, I, I would see it would see it changing now. My personal opinion on that, if that was to happen, is that the new head coach would definitely come from the inside somewhere. I don't think there's anybody else in the league who I would, tra- you know, figure that out for. I don't think anyone else uh, would would come up from that. But I think just kind of with how the Packers roll and in the way they they do things, that it, it would probably come uh, up from the inside. Um, now, who that would be in particular, I'm not sure, but I just think that that is the way the league is going, and I think that's I just see that happening if they don't, just because of because of what the Packers have right now. And um, like I said, I, I do see what you're saying with this, you know, developmental year and things like that, where you got to give guys the chance, and it really does come down to guys staying healthy as well. You know, last season, what really could McCarthy do, right? You know, he was doing everything he could with what he had, and you know, I definitely see that, and we did make changes in defensive coaching, which was very necessary with what we were having, you know, happen over there. So I just see that, you know, you kind of got to bring it all together. Um, you have what it should take to bring it all together. With this new coaching staff, I would give this year kind of a trial run, even though I think they they still should uh, compete. But after a couple seasons, as much as I love the guy, and I really do, um, I think there's got to be – something happening uh if if this if you can't get this squad rolling i want to circle back to to tony romo who made the prediction that yeah. started this conversation tony <laughs> romo's had one season in the broadcast booth i i have pretenses towards being a a live sportscaster uh i like tony romo a lot because he he didn't seem to know that he was a sports broadcaster, but he was very good at it. Some of the guys who don't seem to know that they're sports broadcasters aren't very good <laughs> at it at all. But he seemed to he seemed to not realize he was wearing the headset and just brought something to that position. I a lot of takes got put out of like we do not like Tony Romo as as a sportscaster because 
he lacks a certain formality for it. What are your What are your thoughts on on Romo as as a broadcaster? I mean, I liked Romo uh, because he did get that different spin on it. And I think that's why, uh, if you look at all TV networks, whether you're looking at Fox, CBS, ABC, whatever, you know, whatever it is, they're all bringing in guys who have played the game to broadcast some of these games. And I think it just gives this different aspect to the ga- or to when you're listening to the game. Um, and I think one of the coolest parts about it is when you hear these guys say, oh, well, when I played this or, you know, when I was playing against him, he didn't do this or, you know, all those kinds of things. And you get this perspective on the game that you wouldn't have never got before. And what I really liked about Tony Romo is uh, – he, he didn't really hold back. You know what I mean? He was he said what he had to say and, and really gave a perspective that, you know, if you were sitting next to him at, at the game you happened to be, I feel like you'd get that same commentary. And, and I, one of the things that I liked is that he's paired with Jim Nance, who I think is not good. Not in the <laughs> way that, like, he can't call a game. He can really call a game. But he's very... He's very Jim Nance. Oh, I'm Jim Nance. I have been doing this for a long time. And Romo next to him just kind of is like poking him with his elbow, being like, hey, Jim. Hey, 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 Jim. <laughs> and and you, could, you could hear Romo's energy start to bring Jim Nance up to, to a better level. I think it made Nance think about his job a little bit better. I... <laughs> I uh, Megan Waldron, when we would call games, would do this to me. And just like, she'd keep me on my toes the same way that Romo would keep Nance on his toes. Because we'd just be sitting there and there'd be a timeout and she'd be like, what's your favorite band? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? (laughs) Because I'm I'm in the middle of just like, so if you come up on top of that screen. (laughs) I definitely get that vibe from Tony Romo as well. Love Megan Waldron. She is amazing. Um, but you're definitely right about that. And I feel like, you know, when you kind of bring those fun little aspects into it, it just makes it more interesting. You know, football, there's a lot of dead time. You know what I mean? The play happens, the ball's live, and then it's not. You know, and then you're kind of waiting for things to kind of get back up. So there is a lot of time for a lot of analysis on the game, but there's also time to have some fun in there and throw your comments out and make some bold predictions, and that's what Romo does well. Same reason I like Gruden, and a lot of people don't like Gruden as well, is that He's just got a, a and he's got an enthusiasm, I believe, mm-hmm. for the game. And he's got an energy for it, I believe. I, I truly think that like when he's in the booth, he would really like to be there. Yeah. And there's nothing really that he'd rather be doing. And his, his life bears this out. There's nothing he'd rather be doing than like talking about football and analyzing the game. Romo has that same that same energy that I think is really good. I'm I'm a big fan of of some of the traditionalists as far yeah. as broadcasting. I think Al Michaels is just dollar for dollar still the best in the game as far as like TV play by play goes. But I was I was just thought I'd throw it out there. Like, do you have a, a favorite current working broadcaster or or someone who's uh, someone who's not doing football who should be or just any thoughts on on the way it's going these days? I mean, I just love variety. So I guess I I don't have specific uh, someone who I really just love, but I love the the variety of it. You're right. There are some players who they bring in the booth who I'm like covering my ears or muting the TV, you know. Um, But I really love the variety and um, being able to hear not only – an analyst perspective, which I do like, but I really like the way the NFL is going in, in the broadcast booths are going where they are bringing people on like Tony Romo and like all these other guys who are, are coming on talking about it. As I mentioned, you know, we're having Matt Forte come talk Bears this season over at NBC and, um, you know, being able to have that perspective of someone who loves the game, who played the game, who lived and breathed the game, I think you get a different perspective. Not saying that, you know, Guys who are just analysts, you know, are are bad. They're not. They're good. But when you get that other aspect in, I think it makes for a good combination. Um, and I'm excited to kind of see more of that as uh, broadcast days go on. You mentioned you mentioned the Bears, and you're getting to see kind of behind the scenes of of the the season preview for the Bears. And we've we've laughed a bit about the Bears. We laughed the most about the Lions on this <laughs> show because they are the Detroit Lions, and therefore. You can laugh about them, <laughs> but the the Bears, I think, have something cooking, and I don't think that they're going to be much of a problem for teams this year in that 
like you took you definitely added talent this year but mm-hmm. my take is that like you added talent to to where there was like you've increased the amount of like legit good NFL players on that team from like 4 to 8 right yeah <laughs> and so i don't think that that's that's a trouble this year i think there are trouble I think there are trouble two seasons from now. And I was wondering, like, what what you're hearing and what you might think about where the Bears are in their rebuild. Yeah, I mean, I think they're making progress. And, you know, kind of what, what you're hearing around the, the Chicagoland and talk about what they're doing, you know, you have Matt Nagy now, and, and he's really a firm believer in Trubisky. And I think that that is something that the Bears have not had for a very long time. You know, you went from... Mike Glennon last year, who was a flop, you know, you paid all this money and let's not even talk about what they had before that, you know, because everybody hated him. Uh, but, you know, we, we kind of had this this change because, you know, when you look at other teams in the league, you have a quarterback that you can rely on. And, and most teams revolve around and love, whether that be in the NFC and the AFC you have these staple guys. You have these staple players. The Bears have not had that for a long time. Now, Trubisky is young, and you know he definitely has a ways to go, which is why I think you know this year they're not going to be necessarily a threat. Um, but I do think that you know when you have a coaching system who believes in this quarterback and this guy, and you're kind of building around him, they did fairly well in the draft this year, and um, I think they're they're bringing some pieces in. You know where where they're definitely going to make. A progression, which you know has not always been the case for the Bears, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how they all come together and what they add next year. You know, next season in that in that draft will be crucial because how you just said, you know, they went from four to eight. It'll be interesting, you know, if they go from eight to twelve, right? Yeah. You know, now you're now you're cooking. Yeah, if you do that, you're you're starting to get somewhere, and right. it's a tough it's a tough division to win in right now in that. The, the rich got richer. The the lions are are the lions, but you know, I think that a few the the two lions bears games could end up being being some good uh, some good like yeah. like off off brand stuff for for Packers fans right, right now. In that you've got a team in the lions who are stagnating in a major way, and then you've got the bears who are starting to Improve. to step back up again. Like there's no rule that says the team in like the what second or third largest media market in America needs to suck. Right. <laughs> like, uh, Packers fans don't get complacent. There's no, it's not written in stone. It's not guaranteed to <laughs> us that the Bears are just going to just suck forever. They're, they're, they might they might become good. Um, Tana, um, I, was, I almost said Tannehill because I was thinking of him like in, in relation to Trubisky of like, is he, like, I'm trying to, f- I'm just trying to find a comparison for Trubisky in that what I saw of his game last year really Really, he's he's hard to pin down in that. Like, even in a an offensive system that was awful, right? He he showed you the ability to do well, four or five different specialized things really well. He can whip it downfield. He can make a decent decision if he's got somewhere to go with it. I'm I'm, I'm having a hard time just kind of pinning down what I think of Trubisky in that. Like, also he's a rookie, and at times he looked awful. Yeah. But like, where do you see him ending up? Like, what's what's your take on his game and how he plays? So I really think you know when you when you're looking at Trubisky in the game he plays, you know, like you said, he he is inexperienced. He is a rookie, but you see these moments in him where you see skills presenting themselves as well as, you know, a few other quarterbacks in the league. Is he going to be a star? Is he going to be a Peyton Manning? Is he going to be a Tom Brady? Is he going to be Aaron Rodgers? No, I don't see that. What I do see is him being a reliable quarterback, which is something that the Bears need, who can make decisions when he has to, right? Now, he's not going to make every right decision, and he's not going to complete every pass. You know, there's some quarterbacks where you just know, right, when, when they're throwing it downfield they're going to make a connection but what I do see is him building a connection with a few different receivers on the Bears and and being able to make decisions when he has to and just being a reliable guy and that's really all the Bears need if they can fill some of these other spots if they can have good receivers some good running backs and corners on defense and things like that which they're starting to kind of build upon here they could be a solid team, right? There's no saying that you have to have the best quarterback in the league to compete, uh, but you need to have a reliable one. And and I think that's definitely where Trubisky is headed. 
He's he is an interesting take because some of the some of his long throws are spectacular. Some of his every once in a while he just and demonstrates the that ability to anticipate pocket movement and anticipate pressure. And then at times he just throws it to the guys in the green yeah. jerseys. It's, it's <laughs> like right it's to him. Yeah. To watch. I was I found myself wondering if if like in Trubisky I might felt like at times I felt like I was looking at like a a somewhat more athletic and also not as large Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. In in that like he generally makes the right decisions, but is is sometimes prone to like relying too much on arm strength. Yeah. And. And also just Roethlisberger has that – well, Roethlisberger more had the fact that he was like the size of a house. Yeah, Especially right. in his prime. Like dudes could bounce off of him. But just the, the sneaky athleticism to be able to sort of move around and anticipate what's happening and and then just use kind of the upper body to, to get a throw downfield where it needed to be. Yeah. I felt like maybe Trubisky was, was kind of trending in that direction, what I saw of him, but – it's it's too early right now. It is too early, and it'll be interesting to see. You know, Trubisky is not the best at anything, right? So it, he has to be good at a lot of things. Mm. And so I think that's the best way to put it is that, you know, he's not the most athletic. He's not the fastest. He's not the biggest. He's not going to make the most completions. But he has to be able to be good at those things. He has to be able to make good decisions and to make good passes and to, you know, you know really have this – you know, array of things he can do well. And if he can do those things well, you know, those four or five things and, and really just be good at them, not master them, but be really good at them, I think the Bears will be all right. You know, and, and for him to master maybe one or two of those things would be phenomenal for the Bears. I'm not sure if that's necessarily going to happen, but he is a rookie and, you know, you don't exactly know where he's going to go. But I do think they're really trending in the right direction. And a few years from now, I don't think they will be the bad news Bears anymore. Yeah. That, uh, watch out because the, uh, the Bears, the Bears are coming out. It's the best darn division in football is the oh, NFC yeah. North. There's there's a, a there's three legitimate quarterbacks. I like Stafford a lot. There's yeah. a guy who could who could be definitely in that Stafford yeah. conversation. And guys like Matt Ryan and Stafford who are in that in that second tier quarterbacks. There's a whole bunch of good stuff happening in the NFC North. We on Cheeseheads in Chicagoland will continue talking about it. Allie Pruitt, thank you for coming on today. This was uh, this is a good one. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited uh, for the season and to see what this beautiful podcast does. Yeah, we'll get you back. <laughs> we'll get you back around when we're uh, when, when we're doing the uh, the weekly thing. I I tell people awesome. like stick with us through the off season because we're going to be doing weekly game recaps, uh, preseason, regular season postseason i crossed my fingers <laughs> it's an audio only medium so uh trust me that i crossed my fingers when i said that postseason action coming along uh once again we're at cheese cargo land on twitter we don't have an instagram because we're a podcast and there's nothing to take pictures of it's just <laughs> it's just uh people sitting in a uh sitting in a studio a facebook group is called Cheeseheads in chicagoland i am mike fleischman uh mp fleischman on twitter uh, Matt Mellum setter. Uh, make sure to uh, to check out his movie. I'm, we'll tell you all about it when he gets back. <laughs> when he gets back from Living Hollywood. Living large in Hollywood. Yep. <laughs> yeah, uh, he is at Mellum setter on Twitter. Check him out there. He has been uh, completely nose to the grindstone. So uh, wish you well, Matt. I know this is going to pop up on your feed. So I'm saying saying hey to you uh, once again, Allie. Where can uh, where can folks find you? What you about? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Allie Pruitt One. That's A L L Y P R U I T T. You can also follow me on Instagram. That's Allie Pruitt. Get some uh, sports news there as well. All right. That's going to do it for Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. Uh, double, not a double episode, but we'll have another episode coming out uh, shortly after this one. We're going to we're going to uh, continue the the cavalcated guest talk to uh, Gabriel Wilkins, also from um, from Radio DePaul Sports, coming up here. That episode will most likely be on your feed in in three to seven business days <laughs> from right now. So uh, until then, thanks for listening to Cheeseheads in Chicagoland. And uh, Mellum Setter's not here, so no one's going to tell you to stay cheesy, baby. 